Romans 5, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We're doing a, a, just a short series, just three parts, on um, uh, basically trying to, trying to help us to understand, trying to help us to evaluate whether we are genuine Christians or not. The metaphor um, that Jesus used is, is uh, of a tree, a tree with, with fruit in the, in the branches of the tree. And if, if you, if you want to be a tree that's fruitful, if you want to have faith which is real and genuine and makes a difference, what kind of roots do you need? Where, where, are, the, where are the roots of your faith? Where does it come from? What's, what's there at the base that everything else grows out of? Last time, if you were here, um, we looked at some false signs that you're a Christian. Um, we talked about, um, uh, about maybe you just come to church, you know, that doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, maybe you try and be a good person. Well, that doesn't make you a Christian either. There's plenty of good people in the world. Um, we talked about admiring Jesus, believing in a historical Jesus. Well, that doesn't make you a Christian either because there are plenty of people who do that. Um, even believing in or experiencing miracles or even performing miracles doesn't make you a Christian. Enjoying the Bible, knowing the Bible, reading the Bible, memorising the Bible doesn't make you a Christian either. Being baptised doesn't make you a Christian. Believing in judgement doesn't make you a Christian. The only thing we said last time, the only thing that matters is your relationship with Jesus, what you believe about him, having him in you, building your life on him, that's what counts. So we're going to unpack that a bit today. Um, we're going to look at some signs that you are a true Christian. So if last week was false signs that don't prove anything actually, this time we're going to look at true signs that do say you are a genuine Christian. And my aim today, my aim today, is that, is that you should see yourself as God sees you. That, that, uh, uh, maybe, maybe for some of you, that means that you realise today, for the first time, 
that you're not truly a Christian. Maybe oh, that would be a wonderful thing if it came home to you with complete power and authority that, that you're not truly saved today. That would be a very wonderful thing because it means that you could then very easily come to the Lord and say, I need help. I need to be forgiven. So let me just pray and then we'll get into this passage. Lord, we, we know because your word tells us that it's like a sharp sword that cuts and divides and separates. And Lord, your word penetrates to the depths of our hearts and shows us what we're like. So Lord, we pray that today your word may be full of life, that your word may be active among us, that we may see ourselves as you see us. Amen. So, true signs that you're a genuine Christian. Number one, you have peace with God. Peace with God. I'm going to... Shall I do this myself? Uh, oh, it's not working. Hang on. No, the battery's dead. Oh, it is working. There we go. You have peace with God. Number one, you have peace with God. So, if you've got your Bible open, um, if you brought a Bible with you, if you've got it on a phone or something, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. You know, the deepest longing of the human heart is to have peace with your maker. It is. Most people don't realise that. Most people don't know what it is they're looking for. They know they're looking for something. People try and find purpose and meaning and identity and value in all kinds of things. And it's a genuine search that so many people have. They're looking for those things in the wrong places. They're looking they look to find purpose and meaning, identity and forgiveness and, and, and hope in, in, in their jobs, in their relationships, in entertainment in becoming powerful. The problem is that humanity, by its nature, does not have peace with God. That's why you see people desperately searching for something and not finding it. Humanity is not at peace with God by nature. So human beings search for purpose and meaning and value. This, this passage that, that Rachel read to us so beautifully, um, uh, paints really a pretty dismal picture of what humanity's like. Look in verse 8. Now, we're not going to go through this verse by verse, all right? That's for another day. But we're just going to, I'm just going to pick out a few things. So in verse 8, um, humanity is described as sinners. Sinners, lawbreakers. You know, Jesus said that, that the, whole of the, the whole of the law, okay, so the whole, the, the Old Testament, all the laws in there, all that can be summed up in two things. Love God and love your neighbour. And honestly, who can say they've done that consistently? Who can say they've always loved God and always loved their neighbour completely consistently? When it gets worse than that, you see, the more you look into it, the more depth you look into it, the more you see failure. That's all, that's all that you see. The more you read the, God's word, the more you think, I don't think I can do this. And when you come to Jesus' teaching, it gets even worse still. Jesus said, you know, um, 
uh, yeah, so for example, the law says do not murder. Okay, one of the Ten Commandments, do not murder, we all know that. We're all okay with that, I assume, this morning. Um, but, but Jesus says that out-of-control anger is equivalent to murder. I guess he's, he's saying that, that really um, murder is, is just anger plus opportunity. <laughs> you know, and if, if there's no opportunity, then you probably won't murder someone. But if there was opportunity and you're really, really angry, you might do something that you terribly, terribly regret later. We've all been angry. This passage, verse 6, describes humanity as being ungodly. Unlike God himself. That's what it means, doesn't it? Unlike God, God himself is perfect, humanity is ungodly. Very far from perfect. Verse 10, it describes humanity as being God's enemies. You know, we, we like to think of human beings as sort of being on the same team with God. Well, not according to the Bible. Not according to the Bible. No, opposite teams. The Bible describes God and humanity as being separated. And so the position of humanity in relation to God, in verse 9, says deserving of wrath. Deserving of God's anger and God's judgment. And perhaps even worse than that in verse 6, describes humanity as being powerless. So not, not only, not only uh, is humanity described as, as sinners and ungodly and God's enemies and therefore deserving of wrath, but also having no power at all to do anything about it. It's a powerless situation. That's pretty dismal, isn't it? That's bad news. <laughs> There's a but coming. <laughs> you're going to wait for the but. Okay, but this is the amazing grace of God. Okay? Because Christ died and rose, which transforms everything. So in verse 6, he says, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, that undoes the problem. While we were still sinners, verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 10, while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. You see, you see what the cross of Jesus Christ achieved? It achieved those things. It undoes all the trouble, all the problems, all the... The mess of our world. While we were hopeless, while we were helpless, law-breaking, ungodly sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord Jesus, out of love, came to earth to live as a human being uh, and kept this law that we all struggle with. He kept every law did everything exactly right, and then willingly went to the cross. And, and human beings, our ancestors, condemned him to death. And he willingly took on himself the sin of a guilty world. 
This passage tells us what that achieved. There are four things, actually. They're on the screen there. Four things, four words. The word justified. It's a, it's a, it's a word taken from the, the, uh, the world of lawyers and uh, criminal prosecution. If you're justified, it means you're found not guilty. You're found not guilty. So that's one thing that Jesus achieves for us at the cross. As he hangs there on the cross, all the filth of a sin-sick world is placed on his shoulders. And you know what happens? He becomes the guilty one. He becomes the guilty one. As if Jesus himself had committed all the wretched, stinking mess of our world. As if, as if Jesus himself had committed every act of depravity that humanity is capable of. And so as he becomes guilty, we are justified. And, and the second word is the word saved. As, as he hangs there on that cross, the wrath of God against sin burns on his own precious son. How can that be? That God is angry with his own son. Jesus suffers the wrath of God. And as, as Jesus suffers the wrath of God, we are saved from the wrath of God. Although we deserve that and he doesn't. The third word is reconciled. As Jesus hangs there on that cross, he is separated from God. And, and, and therefore that's why Jesus cries out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me, Lord? Because, because he was separated from his God. Because a perfect holy God cannot even bear to look upon sin. And Jesus became sin for us. So as, as Jesus is separated from God, we are reconciled to God. See, we can be friends with God. Because Jesus was separated from God. The fourth word is peace. Don't worry about the tech problems. They'll sort it. The fourth word is peace. As Jesus hangs there on that cross, the sky turns dark. You remember the story? The sky turns dark because the wrath of God is upon him. And Jesus himself becomes God's enemy. You know, we were enemies with God because of sin. Instead, Jesus becomes the enemy of God. And we have peace. We have peace. As the prophet Isaiah puts it, 800 odd years before Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. See, everything that, everything that Jesus suffered at the cross brings benefit to us. Friends, this, this, is, this is grace. 
This is grace. This is the, the kindness of God towards us. Totally undeserved, totally unmerited. We bring nothing. We bring nothing to this except for our own failure. Let me get back to the subject at hand. <laughs> How do you know you're a Christian? How do you know you're a Christian? Because you know you have peace with God. You know you're a Christian because you stop searching for peace in other places. Because you know you found it. You know there's nothing better out there once you've found peace with God through Jesus. Think of it this way. If, if the creator of the, of the universe sacrificed his son to deal with your sin, if that's what it took to reconcile God and you together, if that's what it took, that God should sacrifice his own son, the infinite cost he was prepared to pay for you, it's not possible that there is anything bigger or better out there to find. That's, that's the infinite, isn't it? That the infinite should become one of us and die in our place. Now, how could there be anything bigger than that to search for? If you believe that the God of all things did that to demonstrate his love for us. And frankly, just you know, forget meditation and yoga and your star sign and your boyfriend and your new sofa and your car and your new phone. It doesn't matter. It's all irrelevant, isn't it? <laughs> We search for identity and purpose and meaning in all kinds of weird and wonderful places. But really, once you've found Jesus, you stop looking. Jesus said it's a bit like, um, Jesus used this illustration, it's a bit like a gemstone collector. Okay? And one day, he finds the finest, the biggest, the most beautiful pearl he's ever seen. And you know what he does? He goes away. He sells everything else. Everything. It doesn't matter what it is. just flogs everything on eBay. So that he can have that one pearl. That one thing. Because at that moment, nothing else matters. Except for having the very, very best in the whole world. That's what it's like when you find Jesus. You realise that the rest of it doesn't really matter. So my question today is, are you still searching? You know, are you still looking for religion, meaning and purpose and peace with God? Because if you're still searching, then frankly, you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. But if you have peace with God, that's a true sign that you're a genuine Christian. That's the first one, all right? Ooh, okay, that one's died, does it? All right, fair enough. Um, second one. Second one, you understand grace. Let's go back to Romans 5. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It's a complicated sentence. True faith knows that you're saved by grace and grace alone. What do I mean by that? I mean, God didn't save you. You know what? If you're a Christian today, God didn't save you 
<clears throat> because he thought, that looks like a really cool person. He looks really good. He's got a great haircut. She's a lovely person. You know, I'm going to save, save them because they're such a lovely person. That's not how it worked. God didn't save you because you tried harder than everybody else. God didn't save you because you prayed better or you read the Bible more. God saved you simply and only because he chose to. There's nothing you bring to this deal except for your own sense of failure. True faith recognises that I contributed nothing. I've, I have a relationship with God now, but, but I've, I've contributed nothing to that. Even the faith that even the faith that I've got, and maybe you might say, well, you've got faith, haven't you? Well, even that faith is a gift that he gives. True, true faith gets that. That, that. that he doesn't just sort of make up for your lack. It's not like, it's not like, uh, um, uh, okay, I'll use it's not like John, it's not like John is like 80% of the way there to being an amazing godly person. And God says, oh, well, I'll, just, I'll just sprinkle some extra goodness on John and make him into a perfect person. That's not how it works at all. God doesn't just, just give an extra push to get you over the line. No, 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 no. He did everything. He does everything. True faith says, I give up. True faith says, I give up. I'm helpless and hopeless without Christ. False faith says, false faith says, I'm going to try really hard from now on. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to get up a bit earlier, read some more Bible, pray a bit harder, and hope that I can do enough to please him. Frankly, friends, that's an Islamic view of faith. <laughs> and, the, and the hope is that, that one day, one day, you know, there'll be a set of scales and and I hope, I hope I've done enough that God will be pleased with me that one day I get to go to heaven if I've, if I've done enough and not done too many bad things. If I've, if I've done some bad things, I'll try and do some extra good things to make up. That's Islam. <laughs> That's not Christianity, friends. Christianity just says I give up. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I just need you, Lord. Come and fill me. Come and take me. Use me. I need you to give me the righteousness, the holiness, the goodness of Jesus. A true sign that you're a genuine Christian is that you know you're saved by grace and grace alone. Third one. You love Jesus because of the Holy Spirit in you. Okay, right. Romans 5 verse 5, moving down to verse 5 now. It says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Okay. So, so far this has been fairly intellectual, perhaps. Do you understand what I mean by that? You know, it's kind of in your head. You know, there's stuff about... Um, righteousness and, and, and grace and God's forgiveness it's all, it's all quite in your head we're going to go into your heart now ok 
Okay, when you become a Christian, something happens in your heart. Um, and and it's, not, it's not something rational. Okay, I, I'm, I've got a scientific background. I love rational. Okay? Most of the gospel is rational. This is not rational. Okay? When, when, um, when you become a Christian, something changes in your heart. You, 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 um, you feel, you know inside that the, the, the Spirit comes in to your heart. That God's, God puts his, his, his Holy Spirit in you. And what, is, what does he do? What difference does, does he make? Well, you might say, okay, so, so the Holy Spirit in me helps me to discern right and wrong and maybe helps me to have a better conscience. You know, I, uh, the Spirit helps me to understand the Word better, for sure. The Spirit... Um, uh, gives us an instinct to pray. You might talk about spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to everyone. Um, that's all true, but honestly, those are little things compared to the biggest thing, which is in this passage. It says, God's love is poured into your heart through the Spirit. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, well if the love of God is poured into you, then, then the thing or things that God loves end up being the things that you love as well. So who, who does God love most of all? <coughs> God loves his son most of all. So when the love of God is poured into you through the Holy Spirit, what happens? You love Jesus. Because that's who God loves most of all. It's very Trinitarian, isn't it, this little verse? So a sign that you are a genuine Christian is you love Jesus. Before, before you were a Christian, maybe Jesus meant very little to you, probably. But now, when you hear someone using Jesus' name as a swear word, it just kind of hurts a bit, doesn't it? Maybe it hurts a lot. And you enjoy reading about him in the Bible now, and you enjoy speaking to him in prayer now. And you enjoy talking about him to other people in your home group or after the church service with your coffee or whatever. And you enjoy singing to him and about him. In the car, if you like me. And, and perhaps you just step back and you think, well, you know, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Because like before I was a Christian, like I, you know, I used to think Christians were just a bit mad. You know, what's wrong with them? Why are they always banging on about Jesus? How can they sing these weird songs? You know, why, 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 why do they pray? Well, that seems very strange. But when you become a Christian, it feels instinctive. It feels natural and normal. What's happened? The Holy Spirit now lives in you. That's what's happened. And through him, God's love has been poured in. It's a good sign that your faith is genuine. If you love Jesus. Number four, following on from that, is you love other believers. <coughs> Excuse me. So when the Holy Spirit comes in and God's love comes flooding in, who does God love second after his own son? He loves his people. He loves his people. Look at verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves his people so much that he sends his own son to die for his people. So if he loves his people, and his love is poured into your heart, what will you do? You're going to love his people too, aren't you? And you won't be able to help it, it will be instinctive. In, in the book of 1 John, 1 John um, chapter 4, it says this, We love one another because he first loved us. We love one another because he first loved us. If God's love has been poured into your heart, you will love other people. You will love other believers. What does that mean? What does that look like? It means you want to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. It, it means you, you, you will find yourself caring about their needs. There'll be something different about how you relate to other Christian people compared to how you relate to other people out in the world. You know, there are, there are, there are people here, there are plenty of people here who I don't, I honestly don't know at all. Uh, lovely to see you. I don't know all of you, by any means, do I? You know what? I feel a connection to people here that I don't feel to people in a crowd in Tesco. Really, really I do. You know, I feel an affection and a warmth, even a love for people who I've never even spoken to in this room in a way that I don't feel towards people in Tesco. And it's not easy to explain why. It's not easy to rationalise this, but I'll, 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 this, is my best, this is my best attempt, all right? I think it's because we've got so much in common. I think that's what it is. Um, I'm not always a big fan of social gatherings, um, but you, you know what it's like, don't you? We've all been there, um, where you meet someone who you don't know, and you desperately try and find a connection with them. You know, whether it's, I don't know, stuff you enjoy doing in your spare time, or... I don't know, like, uh, yeah, we, we used to go, we used to go to call them primary school. I used to go to call them primary school. Yes, we can be friends. You know what I mean? That, you, you're desperate to find some connection, aren't you? And when you meet another Christian, there's a profoundly deep connection. Because, you know, I, I know, if you've experienced what I have, then, then, I know that you too were once a helpless, hopeless sinner before you met Jesus, just like me. I, I know that we've both been exposed to the bright light of the gospel. I, and I, no, I, don't, I don't necessarily know your deepest, darkest fears and the things you struggle with, but I know you have them, just like I do. And I feel a deep sense of empathy with you. We have the most important thing in all the world in common. And so that creates a, a love for one another. The flip side of that, again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar, it says. You know, if you hate a fellow believer in Jesus... So, you know, if, 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 you, if you supposedly have the deepest, most, um, uh, the deepest connection imaginable with another person and, and, and actually you don't love them, there's something not right in that, 
in that equation somewhere. You know, if you, if you must not be a Christian. You know, if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, then you can't be a Christian. I'm not saying you have to be friends with everyone, of course not. But if you, if you hate another believer and you can't forgive someone whom Christ has forgiven, then you've got to seriously question, am I really saved? Have I really understood this? Because that sense of empathy about being forgiven and sin, sin, sin and forgiveness, it should be so deep and so profound between us. You can't help but love one another. Fifthly, and finally, you want to please God. Genuine sign that you're saved, that you're a genuine Christian. You want to, you want to please God. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, moving away from Romans 5, 1 John chapter 2 says this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Those people exist. They do. People who say they're Christians, but actually live a lie. People who who say they're Christians, but ignore the commands of Scripture. And do what they like. True Christian, the true follower of Jesus, reads the commands of God and the Spirit impresses on your heart what you must do, how you need to respond to that. You need to deal with that sin, you need to behave differently. Your attitude, those words, those feelings, those thoughts need to change. The true believer says, I want to please God. I want to do what he says. I, I want to obey. And so you cry out to God again, please help me, Lord. Change, change me. I want, to, I, I want to be a better person for you. Honestly, I, and that is not something that happens in an instant, friends. That's not just a one-off thing on the day you get saved. It's not. It can't be. Martin Luther said the whole, the whole life of the believer is one of repentance. Like, for sure, on day one, when you first ask God into your life, and I know... Not everybody has that one-off experience, but, but, but at the beginning, at the beginning, you know, you, you ask God to forgive you. That is only the start. That's only the start. Because praise God, he doesn't show you all your faults on day one. Goodness me. If he'd shown me all my faults on day one, I would have died. <laughs> he shows us bit by bit. As we get to know the word, as we... As we become familiar with the ways of the Spirit and, and challenge and provoke and help one another. He challenges us. Maybe sometimes that causes a battle in our hearts and there's part of you maybe that says, says yes, Lord, come on, I want to do this. And there's part of you that says, oh, I really don't want to do that. I like, I like, I like my sin. There's a bit of that, maybe. And sometimes, maybe even in the midst of spiritual battle where you feel torn, a bit, if you feel torn like that, that's a sign of being a genuine believer. Just let me say that. You know, people out in the world, they don't feel that, okay? They just do what they want. But sometimes in that, in the depths of spiritual battle where you are being torn in two directions, Maybe you can't even bring yourself to say, Lord, I want to please you. 
Maybe you can't even bring yourself to do that. But a genuine believer will always be able to say, Lord, I want to want that. Does that make sense? Lord, I, I, I really, really want to want to please you. Even in the depth of the battle, aren't we true? And I know that's the experience of some here. It's a mark of genuine faith. Wanting to please God and keep his commands. Friends, can you see what this passage of scripture is doing? I mean, actually it's doing a bunch of different things, but, but part of it is assurance. It's trying to, the Apostle Paul, as he writes, is trying to get us to see what it means to be a genuine believer. And if you are, to feel grounded in that. We're going to talk more about that next week. But today, as you've been listening, perhaps if you've been thinking, well, I'm not so sure anymore. I'm not so sure where I stand anymore. I call myself a Christian, but, but these signs, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I, I, do I want to please God? I, do I really feel any different? about these people towards everybody else in the office and whatever. You know, and, I, I, and uh, I'm not sure Jesus really means that much to me. And as for having peace with God, well, oh, I don't know. No, I feel like I'm looking still. If that's you today, I've got good news for you. Because <laughs> that's a wretched position to be in, honestly. The good news is you can do something about it today. There's something very, very major missing in your life. And if, if today you've realised that, that is good news. That's really good news. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. And basically the prayer is going to say, Lord, I just want to give up. <laughs> I, I've got nothing. Come and take me. Change me and forgive me. And put your spirit in me. Maybe for others here, maybe your prayer is that you just want more. We just want more of the Spirit, more of Jesus. So we'll pray for that as well. So shall we, um, you might find out how to close your eyes. You don't have to close your eyes when you pray. Most of us find it helpful. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So Lord, we're here today asking and seeking and knocking on the door. Lord, would you please come in, we pray. Would you please come and make these truths re real to us today? Lord God, for anyone for whom all this stuff is new, Lord, would you please make the light come flooding in, we pray. We want to see Jesus afresh today. We want to see Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. And all the benefits that brings to us. Lord, we confess our guilt and our sin. 
our unfaithfulness, our unrighteousness. But thank you that through the Lord Jesus we become righteous. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for going to that cross and enduring the wrath of God so that we are saved from it. Thank you for being separated from God so that we are reconciled. Thank you for becoming God's enemy so that we have peace. Lord, what grace, what kindness, what love. Holy Spirit, come into our hearts. Pour out the love of God in us, we pray. That we may love the Saviour as he loves us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.